Bible and please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in front of you in the shelf. And please open that up and uh, look for the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 6. Chapter 6. Now, I'm not a uh, real experienced uh, person with military jargon, but many of you are. And here today, we're going to be dabbling in a little bit of it because of the passage that we're looking at this morning. In our study in Ephesians, we've covered and considered uh, chapters 1 through 3, the believer's wealth or the believer's position, the riches that Christ has poured out upon the believer. And there's nothing that you can add to that. He did it. It's there. You need to learn of it and grow in it in the scriptures and learn of it more and more and more so that you'll rejoice in what Christ has done in regards to a perfect work at Calvary. Okay? We talk about the, the issue of the cross. Well, there is where the gospel is made clear. Christ died for sinners. And you and I all, all of us, no matter how good we are, we're all falling short of God's glory and we need the Savior. We need Jesus and we need His grace to sustain us each and every day of our lives, right? It's not like that little piece of fruit can make it on its own apart from being in the tree, right? Or in the, the grapes in the vine. We gotta be there and, and that's the idea of being saved, we're, we're in Him as believers in Jesus Christ. If you are not sure about your salvation, we beckon you, we call to you, be saved. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Repent of sin. Acknowledge that sin is what has separated you from God. And acknowledge the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life and He kept the law. He pleased God in every single way. And now it's for you to believe. If not, you've rejected the person of Jesus Christ. No matter, and it might be that you're a really, quote, good person in our eyes. But in God's eyes, you've rejected His very gift of salvation. So, that's a bit of Ephesians 1 through 3. Okay? Um, and so, that's the wealth that the believer has in Christ. Then... In chapters 4 and 5 of Ephesians, we looked at the believer's walk. Here's the walk, the practical aspect of the believer. Following through with what Christ has already done and living in dependence on Him and putting into action what you know is true. Walking with Him. Okay? However, the life of a Christian is not simply a walk in the park, as we say. God's enemy, the devil, is still on the prowl, still at work, seeking those who he could devour, the Bible says. He's ready to deceive Christians. He's continually counterfeiting God's work. So we go from the believer's wealth in chapters 1 through 3 to the believer's walk. And the reason I bring this up is because now we go into the believer's warfare. The believer's warfare. 
And Paul says in chapter 6, verse 10, look at it with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And by now, you and I can say that without looking, right? I, wanna, I do want to say thanks to Noreen and continuing to bless us with these tunes to help us to remember God's word and to hide God's word in our heart. The more you are listening to things of God's word and hiding them in your heart, the more you have a reservoir of strength and dependence on his word. Along with the fact that if you're a believer, you have the spirit of God dwelling within you. And that equips you then to face the difficulties that we face in life. He's instructing us here that, believer, you're in a war zone. You're in a war zone. So don't expect everything to go just really smooth and keen and peachy keen, as we say. Don't, don't expect that. And so in everything, give thanks. Because God's in control. God's looking over His children. God is in control. Even though we, from our perspective, don't see it that way. We see all sorts of things happening. How do you explain the evil in this world? Say, well, it's God's fault, man. I mean, if he's big enough and strong enough, it's his, his problem, right? That makes sense. But that's not true. It's not tracking along with the, the word of God. And we must understand the Bible is not just a bunch of stories thrown together. This is the word of God. This is what we have to eat and take in. Not just on a once a week basis, folks. Please don't go on a once a week basis. You're going to shrivel up. You need to be in the word of God. Do a little bit each day. Just a little bit to get started if you're not doing it. Get going with it. Start with the word of God. It's your food from God. If you're not, don't expect to have um, you know, a, a wonderful growing life in the faith. You need to grow in the things of the Word of God. Understand more and more of it. Read it. Because we are in warfare. It's spiritual warfare. We can't see it, but it's spiritual warfare. It's real, and it's not a joke. It's not a myth. And it's not just because, well, things just don't go well. It's because there are enemies of God against God doing their work. And we need to hear from our commander in chief, Jesus. We need to hear from him about how to handle this. And that's why we have this military imagery, if you will. We're commanded... uh, we need to hear from our commander-in-chief who gives his soldiers instruction and commands as to how we're to serve. Now, I, I know some of us don't like that imagery. We'd rather say, oh, you know, we like the family of God. We talked about that in Sunday school as a, as a group. It's wonderful having the family of God and brothers and sisters. And that is a strong metaphor or imagery of the body of Christ. We're, we're members of one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ but we're also soldiers in God's army. Don't, don't forget that. And we're not soldiers, you know, poking at each other. And, you know, threatening each other with our weapons. No. 
We've got one enemy and his, his organized system. We've got, we've got that enemy. And we need to encourage one another to be in the Word of God. It is an invisible war, but it has physical and visible consequences. And you and I see it. We see the consequences of the work of the enemy nationally and globally. Especially what's been going on the past couple of years. You can turn on the TV or listen to the news and it's all about terrorism. And you think that's just, you know, because we've got a bunch of uh, Muslims angry at Christians. There's more to it than meets the eye. The, the enemy is behind it all. And not just behind, I'm not just saying behind the Muslims. The enemy wants to mess up and trip up the Christians. And cause them to react in anger. React, you know, here. Yeah, there's, there's bad things going on. And there's different ways we we respond. But it's not just through terrorism that the enemy is doing its thing. It's through false teaching in the church. Don't forget that. The enemy wants to have a stronghold in your life. And you go, whoa, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, the enemy wants a stronghold in your life. And what that means is just, it's a stronghold. It's like, it's something up, up, up high that you can't quite get to. It's a little, uh, nook in there and there's a, a, you know, something that's in there that shouldn't be in there. And really what it boils down to is mental beliefs, uh, things of your mind that you hold to that work themselves out in practice. Strongholds that need to be cleared out for the glory of God. We also see the work of the devil and his company locally and regionally. And I want to be careful in how I address this, but, you know, because of what's happened, everyone's really pretty much aware of what's happened. A person taking their own life. Suicide. It's so hard to address on a, in a group like this, or it's very hard to address even on a small group level. And all I want to say is, you know, the enemy simply rejoices in that. Having accomplished something that really is not designed for anyone. And again... It's not just with suicides that the enemy is working. He wants to stoke fires and mess-ups all over the place. And I, in addressing this subject is really challenging and difficult because what we don't want is to turn Christians into um, name-it-and-claim-it kind of people and, and going in against Satan. I'm going to go fight Satan. I'll show Satan. Listen, you're no match for Satan. Do you understand that? You're no match for Satan. So don't go there. And we'll, as we go through this passage, we'll, we'll come to see more and more our commander-in-chief, Jesus. He, he, he defeated him already. Satan is a defeated foe. He's already defeated. So what we have then is here's 
our, our commander-in-chief, Jesus, calling out with three basic things about his soldiers and what his soldiers ought to be alert to. Number one is the battle call. Number one in your outline, if you want to follow along, the battle call. Okay. His call reveals, letter A, the soldier's resource. The soldier's resource. And it's very simple. Verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Strength in the Lord. Strength in the Lord. Just let that sink in, folks. Strength in Him. Right? Be strong is actually a command here. And it's not in an active voice. It's in a passive voice. In other words, let his strength strengthen you. Let his strength. It's there. He's accomplished it. He's already claimed the victory. It's it's a done deal. So we need to allow that strength of Jesus to lead and guide. So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Strength here is referring to the possession of strength that affords the, the supremacy or the control of God. So from this phrase, this verse, verse 10 and 11, we see both the one who is strong and the strength that he provides, as he did with many examples in the Old Testament. This whole imagery of being a soldier or fighting the fight, you can read in the Old Testament and see it popping up here and there, shadows of it. Because why? The Old Testament is filled with wars, fighting. Some of us think like, oh my goodness, this is another fight, another battle, another war, more killing. And so it points you as a believer to the fact that there's an ongoing war, a spiritual fight, a spiritual battle that goes on and on. And there's examples of Good soldiers and bad soldiers, and one in particular that's a good example for a certain time of his life, not his whole life, but a certain time of his life. Just mark it down if you're taking notes. Second Chronicles 14. In Second Chronicles, we're not going to turn there, but Second Chronicles 14 talks of King Asa. Get this. <laughs> King Asa has about 300,000 in his army. Not bad. 300,000. Until Zerah... The Ethiopian shows up. Guess how many Zerah the Ethiopian has behind him? One million. One million. And along with that, 300 chariots. Okay? And Israel is basically a foot soldier crowd here. Troops on the ground, right? Asa went out to meet him. Second Chronicles 14, verse 10. And he cried to the Lord... Right there. He cried out to the Lord. Listen. Oh Lord, there is none like you to help. He's, he's not talking about running and escaping and hiding. He's saying, oh Lord, there is none like you to what? To help. Between the mighty and the weak. Help us, oh Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this multitude. Now, all of you know about David, right? David going up against Goliath. Same thing. He's talking about the strength of a mighty God, not his skill, not his strategy. And listen, 
when we talk about spiritual warfare for the believer it now in our day today, this is the attitude we need to have. We rely on God. He's our one and only resource. Okay. And this, I have to say this here. It's not a matter of neglecting the issue of spiritual forces against you. It's not a matter of neglecting it. But it's not, on the other hand, a matter of overemphasizing it. It's not like every little thing is, is from the devil. Don't go there. So extremes like that are not healthy for us and wise. We need to understand the Bible says it. So when the Bible says it, I want to pay attention. I want to listen and, and follow through and obey. Trust God in this regard. So the soldier's resource. It's Jesus. It's his strength. Okay. You know, th- I, before we move on to the next point, just think of the, um, the book of Ephesians. We've been reading about it. Now we get into this section on warfare. Well, think of the book of Joshua. What's the book of Joshua about? Going into the land and conquering, right? Well, here you go. Old Testament, Joshua. New Testament, Ephesians. There's the connection. Ephesians is the spiritual warfare. The land has already been given. In other words, Christ has already conquered. It's yours and mine to go about walking in obedience to what he's already done and not getting your eyes focused on the the stuff and the circumstances of the world, but keeping our eyes on our king, on our commander-in-chief, Jesus. Letter B, the soldier's responsibility. The soldier's responsibility. You have a responsibility, Christian. Okay? Again, in the power, in the strength of the Lord, by his doing... We, we put on, that's what he says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Okay? Put it on. Make sure it's the armor of God. Why? Well, back to David and his story. Okay? First Samuel, verse, in chapter 17. Remember what happened there? No one wanted to take on Goliath, and so what does King Saul do? He says, here, let's fit you out with my stuff. Right? And David said, I'm not going to go with this. This is not tested. And really, here's a picture of the armor of the flesh versus the armor of God. You need to be sure you've got the armor of God, Christian. And we're going to talk about that next week is the pieces of the armor of God. But that's... Our responsibility. And, and we have to bring it together in the New Testament. It doesn't always talk about put on the armor. Here it does. In other places, Romans chapter 13, verse 14, he says, put on, anyone know that? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in the lust thereof. You're to, you're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I, I already did that. See, there you're open and vulnerable now to temptation and defeat. Not just temptation, but defeat because you haven't put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I did that at salvation. No, this is an ongoing thing, folks. You can't just look back on, the, on your history and say, I, I got it down. No, it's a continual thing of trusting in him, of 
welcoming his grace each and every day. So there is a responsibility that you have. Then third, letter C under number one, the soldier's readiness. The soldier's readiness. Again, the imagery that Paul uses here is really from his experience. When Paul was in Rome, he was, a, uh, he was not a soldier. He was a, a prisoner. He was chained in, in, in chains. He was a prisoner. So regularly he would see soldiers. Okay? <laughs> they were always ready. They didn't come in, you know, uh, so to speak, with their latte and, and their shorts on or something and t-shirt from sleeping. They came in with their armor on. They came in ready to go. They, they were set and ready. Here's my question. Are you God's child? Stop and think about that. Are you God's child? What do you base that on? If you are God's child and you base that on faith in Jesus Christ, then you are enlisted as a soldier. It's not a thing of if you are. You are. And you need to be really following what Scripture repeatedly exhorts us and instructs us. In light of this imagery, the battle is, is going on. We're to be alert as soldiers. We're to be watchful as good soldiers. Second Timothy chapter 2 says, Don't be distracted with the civilian affairs, but like a good soldier, be alert. Be watchful. It's expected that a soldier is ready. And I know some of you, I'm talking to the choir, so to speak. You, you're doing it on a regular basis. You're serving our country and you're ready. But think of it. Think of what, like, uh, what things were like in Israel back in this day. Back in the day, there wasn't a, an iron shield that they had. They didn't have that, that security system. And nations, there was many nations around this little nation of Israel. And it might have been the Philistines. It might have been other nations that were trampling in and coming through onto the Israeli borders and coming in and trying to do battle and take over land. And again, many Many different countries, not just, not just the Philistines. And this readiness factor, I want to zero in on this real quickly here. Turn to Judges in the Old Testament. Turn to Judges. Again, the book of Judges is another great book to read in, in light of this subject. Judges chapter 4. See, it wasn't just the men, it was the women. Judges 4, starting in verse 17. Now Sisera, he's one of these enemies, fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. Jael was the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my Lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. Cicero's on the run. And he said to her, uh, it's in verse 18, 
So he turned aside to her in the tent and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand He said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, being ready, the wife of Heber took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down to the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And so he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. Now, that's not your normal soft Sunday school story. This is serious. And she was serious with an enemy of God. Sometimes you and I are not very serious with God's enemies and the things that would cause us to trip up and stumble. We, need, we must have that kind of response and readiness to deal with what would deceive us and turn us away from God. Now, in no way, don't just so it's very clear, I'm not talking about having your peg and hammer in your car. Okay? We're not, we're not talking, that's not even the issue, okay? But the issue crosses over into a, a mindset, doesn't it? What's your mindset about, you know, dealing with, you know, what might be considered demonic activity? You want to make sure that you're, you're doing it in the way that, you know, we're called to, and that is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who's already gained the victory. And by the way, men... I have to say this because it, it hits me too. The whole issue of Barak coming later was because uh, it, it had to do with, with Deborah. Deborah predicting that Barak would not have the victory that because he delayed and hesitated in going forth into battle that a, a victory would be given to a woman instead of him. And back in the day, obviously, well, you know, the men were the soldiers, right? And here's a bit of a humiliation about Barak, not stepping forward, not walking out, not taking charge in that sense as a man. And men, we, we need to be leaders in this way, okay? At home, at work. I know, we go home and it's like we tend to, you know, kick back and relax, but it's at home that... We want to show and that here's that issue of integrity and, and sincerity and, and continuing to look to the Lord at home, being a leader there. So the readiness factor for the soldier, that's the battle call from our commander-in-chief. The number two is, uh, you see it there in your outline, battle intel or the battle reconnaissance. Here's the issue of our commander-in-chief informing us more specifically about the enemy. Notice the end back in Ephesians 6, verse 11, where he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's where we start with this intel. We've got to have an understanding of how he works. Okay, 
And it's the schemes of the devil. So letter 2A, the enemy's schemes. The devil's sneaky, crafty methods of hurting or messing up, tripping up Christians. And our commander-in-chief, Jesus, understands who the enemy is better than anyone. And he warns us of his schemes, which are the outflow of Satan's evil character. It's in his heart. And Jesus said this about the devil, right? In John chapter 8, what did he call the devil? A liar and a murderer. Okay? He's also known as an accuser of the brethren. He wants to accuse you before God. You sinned again. You blew it again. And the accusation ends up being something that goes against the grace of God. And we have that guilt conscience and we tend to think, oh, I got to work harder, work harder. That's all Satan needed to do is put that little thought in your mind that you're not good enough. How many of you feel that way? You know, I'm just not good enough. Yeah? I know you don't have to raise your hand. Just nod your head. Yeah. We, we, we have that. And so much of that is going right against the, right against the grain of what Jesus accomplished. To bring forth grace. Grace upon grace. Now, don't, don't take that the wrong way either. Let's not take advantage of His grace in the sense that, hey, you can live however you want to live because He'll forgive you. That's wrong thinking also. So just, we must be aware of this information. He's a liar. He's a murderer, an accuser. He's a deceiver. He, he's a destroyer. Married lives he wants to destroy. Do you know that? See, it's not like it's a big issue that he's offers, you know, he's the big uh, power behind the world conspiracy, which he will be. <laughs> but right now, hey, if he can mess up your marriage, hey, that's a, he's destroyed another relationship. Okay? If he can cause you to be a bad testimony at work, there's another one. He just wants to destroy. And it's not so much in an overt way. It's very subtle. It's very subtle because it's about what you're thinking and what you're believing in your mind. He knows where to attack. He knows how to attack. And you cannot match his scheming. He's the evil ruler. He's the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2, 2. And he's also got letter uh, number 2B. He's also the enemy's support system. There's his schemes and the enemy's support system. Satan, in this little uh, sub-point here under letter B, Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is not omniscient. Satan is not omnipotent. He is omni-evil, all right? Let's just keep that in mind. He's omni-evil. But he's not anything like God because he's a created fallen angel. But he needs a support system and he has one. And you can see that in verse 12. It says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. There's his army. There's his organization. And it is very organized. It's not sloppy. It's very organized. 
And by the way, before we move on any further here, notice what verse 12 says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Who's the we? Believers. Who's he saying? We do not wrestle against what's flesh and blood. People. And so many of us right now, our attention is focused on, well, it's our president. It's our administration. It's this. It's that. It's about people that we get focused on. And we get angry and upset about it. What does that accomplish? I was talking with a brother about this issue. That, you know, back when President Clinton was uh, voted into office, everyone, all, it was like Christians everywhere were saying, we need to pray. We need to pray. Well, it's not, it, it, we j- kind of giggle at it, but we do. And we did. We were praying. And now it's like, now it's not so much a response with the Obama administration. It's not so much an, a response of prayer as much as it is, you know what? You know what happened again? Here's what he did. And here's this, this, this. And I'm not saying everyone in here is, you know, uh, griping. I'm just saying it's a tendency we have. And our focus gets off the target of the, what does the word of God tell us to do about our leadership? Yeah. And so we need to step that up, don't we? We need to step that up to pray for, and it might be that, you know, things won't change and and we won't, you know, take a stronger stand or whatever the issue is. Maybe that won't happen. But I tell you what, your heart and my heart will be in a better place for praying rather than complaining. The enemy has a very organized support system. Turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Keep your finger at Ephesians 6 and turn back to your left, uh, Acts 19. And this is, this is the context. Here in Acts chapter 19, he's talking about the Ephesian church. So the Ephesian believers are aware of this. They know this. Ephesians 19 verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay, this is in Ephesus. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And this demoniac, the man in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they all fled out of that house naked and wounded. You know, again, I said it before, this is not a joke. It's not some goofy, you know, little sideshow. This is real. Okay? And so when Paul addressed the Ephesian believers in this regard, this is a, this is a, a thing that the folks were, uh, at least some of them were aware of. Here's what had happened. And, and there it is, recorded in Acts 19. Now, Daniel is another, um, I believe it's Daniel 10, if you want to mark it down. We're not going to go there, but where uh, there's evil spirits involved in, le- in, in national scenes, okay, where demons are involved in that. It's in high places that these, uh, 
They're, they're not in the heaven of heavens where God is, obviously, but they're in high places. And again, it is. It's a challenging issue to deal with because we're, we're really, we've been brought up on things of, we, here's what we see, we recognize it. Hey. But there's enemy activity going on, skirmishes, as we say. Let's look at letter C under number two, the enemy's final shutdown. This is a little added extra. The one key element to all this is that he, Satan, is already defeated. He's a rotten, cheating enemy, okay? And he's, he's defeated. And he's still stirring up all skirmishes he can. But he's on schedule, on God's schedule for his final shutdown by God's all-powerful, righteous arm. He's going to get shut down, and I like to think of it as the big splash in the lake of fire. Okay? And again, it doesn't jive with our modern-day world, but here it is in God's Word, giving us warning about it. Then back to Ephesians 6, verse 13. Look at verse 13. Therefore, because of the spiritual forces, because of this, because of the rulers and the authorities against God's way. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So number three is believers, or I'm sorry, battle tactics, tactics for the believer. Here's the believer's strategy in the fight. And we think, oh, okay, here we go, ready? What does it say? Put on the whole armor and stand firm. And some soldiers that are all gung-ho and ready, what? Isn't there more? I'm supposed to go out and fight. What's the, what's the, the idea here? Be in your armor and stand firm. There you go. That's the battle tactics. Stand back and watch God do the work. Okay? So, under battle tactics letter A, it's just simply suit up. Suit up in the armor of God. And, he re- and it's a matter of always, always, always. He repeats the command from verse 11. Put on the armor of God. Put it on. It says it twice in these, two, in these three verses here. Because the enemy and his army are there. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Not part of it. Okay. What would the football player look like with half of his uniform on walking out in the field on a sunny morning? What does a soldier look like with half of his uniform on? No, put on the whole armor. He says that two times like that. Put on the whole armor of God. And then let her be to stand up. Again, always, always, always be suited up so that you may be able to withstand, resist and oppose what's going on in the enemy ranks. Now, the picture is this. It's really the picture of defending what's already been won and what's already been delivered over to the Christian. That's the idea that you have, Christian. It's like, you know, our little kids game that we used to play as little kids, uh, King of the Hill. You're on the top of the hill. That's where Jesus put you, on the top of the hill. And all you don't need to go down and attack and push and do whatever. You just stand there in the armor of God and stand firm. And it's like, we want to do more than that. We want to, I'm going to add this. I'll do this. And then we realize we've gone kind of out 
of our guardianship from our commander-in-chief. We've gone off on our own. Remember this story? Again, there's so many stories in the Old Testament about this. Remember the story where the ten spies uh, said, no, we can't go, and the two spies said, yes, let's go into the land? And the, the ten spies won out with their counsel. And the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, they tore their clothes and they were you know, just repenting of this. Remember what the people of Israel decided to do after they found out what this meant? The army got together and said, oh, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry. And, and they confessed their sin. And come on, let's go, let's go. Let's go out to Babel and fight these guys. And Moses warned them, don't go, don't go. God's not with you now. He's already judged you in this. And, and the army went and they got spanked. They got defeated. God wasn't with them in that occasion. Listen, we, we need to understand. We've got to suit up and stand firm. He's done the work. The day is evil, as it says here in, in verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And what is it that we stand on, really? We're not standing on some little hill. We're standing on His perfect work. His perfect work. You can fill that in. It's His work of salvation. He's the captain of our salvation. He did it. You don't have to add to it. He did it perfectly. You can't even add anything to make it better. And we all know this because you can't improve on anything that's perfect. If we'll let that sink in and, and realize His work is perfect. Therefore, what do we do? We walk in faith, love, obedience. Those are the responses of the believer. Then we also stand on His precious words as the Word of God points to Jesus. That's what we're, you know, in Sunday school across the way in Fellowship Hall. It's about seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And in, in the um, overflow here in Sunday school, we're doing the names of Jesus. So everything points, that's what we're trying to say. Everything points to the, the perfection of the gospel on your behalf. He's the living word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, right? For the word of God is what? Living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Okay. The Word of God is effective. We need to stand on the Word of God. It's effective. Like the, in Isaiah 55, like the rain and snow and the water that waters the earth, so shall my Word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Folks, we must understand we're standing not in our own strength. We're standing in Christ's strength and on His perfect work and on His precious Word. Psalm 33 says the Word of God is right. By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says that every Word of God is pure. All these, you you just go look in the concordance and look at the, the amount of verses that talk about the the importance of the Word of God in your life. I get back to what I said before. Are you in the Word of God? Are you reading? Are you waiting for a Sunday morning to come around? Take time to be in the Word of God. 
look, the enemy knows the, the vulnerable, vulnerable points. He knows, okay? And so we've got to, you know, bulk up, as we say, in what Christ has already provided and understand here's the riches that he's already given you. Claim them. Claim them for yourself. And to finish up, as long as we live, this battle belongs to the Lord. Okay? This battle belongs to the Lord. What battle? is the battle in regards to your life. It's the big big scene battle also. Okay? So, 1 John chapter 5. Verse 4 and 5 says, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? As we uh, close our time, again, I ask, do you know Him? Do you know Him? We want to encourage you about putting faith in Jesus Christ as He is the only way, the only way in which a person, a sinner, can be made right with their Creator. He's done the work. Faith is what God says needs to be put. Faith in Jesus Christ. Would you repent of your sin? Would you acknowledge that to Him? And ask Him, come, be my Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. I call out to you. I recognize my dilemma. I put my trust in you. We hope that you will do that. If you want to talk about it, please come and see me or, or one of the guys that was up here singing. Please don't leave without dealing with the eternal issue of your life. There's nothing more important when it all falls down, there's nothing more important than where you're going to spend eternity. And Satan is at work to deceive people. Christian, it's not like you're exempt. You know, he, he wants to counterfeit and deceive. And he's active. He's very skilled in it. Recognize that he wants to do it right here with the Word of God. And tweak it just enough for you to think that you've got to add to what he's already done. So, I know there's a lot of things that may have come up in this. If you have questions about this subject, with Satan, with demons. We didn't cover every little square inch of it, but certainly there's a lot more. You know, we'd love to be able to talk with you about it. You know, call the office, talk to Pastor Brennan or myself. It's certainly not um, a light issue. And we want to just finish our time here by saying, Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the champion. And you can walk with Him today and go out today and understand, you know what? Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Okay? All right, let's stand together. And we'll close in prayer. We want to encourage you about sticking around, um, joining us for our uh, potluck lunch. We'll get started as quickly as we can. And um, 
So, in light of what has been said here this morning, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we bow before you to give you thanks and praise that Jesus has claimed the victory. And Lord, for you you have instructed us and, and showed us here that faith is what is how we can claim the victory. Faith in Jesus. Lord, with all the things going on in this world, all the terrible, tragic things going on, help us to be a people that are quick to go to our knees and pray, asking for you to do your work, asking for your help to demonstrate Christ and talk of Christ. Lord, there's so many people who are hurting and struggling with issues. And you have spoken and and given us insight and wisdom to your word. Help us, Lord, to pass that along to others in, in a spirit of love. Thank you again, Lord Jesus, for your perfect work at Calvary and for the victory and the assurance that one day you will be vindicated and you will receive all the glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. Amen.